You're listening to On Conversation, and I am the legend Keith Chandler. On this episode, it is just Brad and I, as Joey is MIA, probably having a great weekend out in the sun on the beach. We discuss sound and the future of sound and technology as it pertains to sound creating a sense of timelessness and limitlessness. So join us for the really heady discussion. Later on in the program, we discuss our favorite musics, arts, uh, and some of our least favorite music. And I go off on a probably ill-timed and errant tangent about fashion and personal responsibility and accountability as it pertains to wearing suggestive clothing that could sexualize men or women. All in all, it's a fun episode. The intro music this week is brought to you by Odd Circles. The track is called Beats Broken. You've heard it before. Sponsor is Sweet Sounds Records. Check them out, sweetsoundsrecords.com. If you have any feedback for us, send it to us at sweetsoundsrecords1, the number, at gmail.com. And thank you so much. We've got one more episode coming for you this season, and then I guess we're going to attempt to try to move into the fall when Brad goes back to school to teach, and we will see if I am smart enough to figure out how to record Zoom. I obviously wasn't smart enough to know what my olfactory senses were. Anyway, stick with us. Enjoy the show. It's me and Brad. Joey is MIA. He may show up. We're looking for him. Yeah, but we don't. We don't know. We've sent up a flare, but he hasn't answered it yet. We're here with a coffee shop full of people. Yeah, coffee shop's super, super busy. So you're gonna hear a lot of banging and a lot of talk, and there's a line to the door. Uh, this would be our penultimate episode of the first season. Penultimate. What's that mean? Second to last. Oh, not necessarily if we keep going with Zoom. Well, for the first season. Oh, summer season? Yeah. I've got oh. it, I've got it online as a season. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I so be, every I wanna, quarter's a season? I want to be trendy. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's cool. I can understand that. Um, so we're going to give this a shot. Maybe get into some heady stuff. I don't know. But so... When we first started this, I guess this kind of brings it full circle, Joey and I were reading at the same time uh, an anthology of a guy named Wendell Berry. And I, we probably referenced it in the very beginning several times. But the anthology is called The World Ending Fire. And in one of the essays in that book, I read a couple days ago, uh, Wendell Berry specifically speaks uh, to farming and agriculture. So we're going to pull this out of context a little bit, but we're going to give you he the basis. That's not all he speaks that's, about. No, no, you're right. right, right. You're right. So Wendell Berry is a pretty famous person from Kentucky that was an author, a thinker in his day, um, a contemplator, I yeah. guess would be. He's, he's still alive. I don't think he's as active anymore. Though. Oh, I didn't think he was alive. Oh, has he? I don't know. I'll, I don't we'll, know. We'll look. We'll look I, him I thought he was still alive. Um, but anyway, he's probably one of the, the, the foremost uh contemplator thinkers that have come out of Kentucky and he he's got a bunch of different books uh was he a a monk 
No, no. Is he no. Catholic? I mean, not Catholic, but... Um, He's very, yeah. He was a religious man. Uh, yeah, he, he was... I he mean, is 86. Okay, he's still alive. Wonderful. Yeah. Hey, Wendell, how are you doing? Um, um, so this guy put together this book, The World Ending Fire, and it's, it's a, like I say, it's an anthology of essays, speeches, right. this kind of thing. And in one of them, he discusses, this one I read just this last week, he discusses the idea that, w- in terms of agriculture, that the idea... You know, th- Keith's into farming, so that's... Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm yeah, all about he, it. He reads up... And and that t- with, no. with agriculture... Technology is supposed to, was supposed the idea from that standpoint those people mm-hmm. is that it's supposed to promote limitlessness in terms of scale of production mm-hmm. when in fact it doesn't because it does so much damage to the land and it, it doesn't respect um, the land like in its individual spot like farming in North Carolina is different than farming in Kentucky is different than farming in uh, the Rocky Mountains is different than et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you have to take right. it to the locale, et cetera, et cetera. And so he was talking about how art is limitless even within its its bounds. It uses limits to its advantage. And I think specifically... So he's comparing farming to art in, in, a sense. in that essay? Yeah. What's the name of the essay? Do you remember it? I, I can't. I'm sorry. I wish I had I the book. Questions. I should. Yep. I meant to bring the book this way, and I just slipped my mind. Okay. But he specifically references at one point um, the idea of like poetry, like a sonnet is fourteen lines. There's a rhyme scheme usually. Right. Um, you know, if you're painting on a canvas, you're limited by the size of the canvas. Sonnets only fourteen lines. Why aren't Shakespeare sonnets a lot longer than that? I remember trying to memorize the one on marriage and give it as a speech. I think you can put multiple sonnets together. Oh, okay. Um, but I'm pretty sure it's what most sonnets are. 14 lines, A, B, A, B, like A, B, A, B, C, D, C, D, oh, okay. E, F, E, F, G, G, and then I think it's all an iambic pentameter. Okay. I think, I, I'm having a hard time remembering now. Um, I majored in poetry, actually, so I should know this shit. Yeah. Um, Where's your poet? Where's your right? poetry? I know. Yeah. It's time to start writing. I gotta knock the bong resin out of my brain first. Oh my God, that's gonna take forever. <laughs> um... <laughs> But, uh, and he was referencing, you know, like with, like you said, with colors, with a palette, mm-hmm. you know, you can mix it any way you want, but you're going to, your, your limitlessness is limited to a point. Right. And but so, you don't really realize that when you're mixing paint. No. You feel limitless. You feel limitless, right? Because you can, you, it's your world. You can mm-hmm. create whatever. And I think that causes people to be afraid of art. Because it is, you're mm. trying to pull the limitless mm. and create this whatever it is right. that lasts through time. Well, and I think everyone, deep down, I think anyone who does art, they want to feel like they're expressing themselves and they want to mm-hmm. feel like they're expressing something that has meaning. Mm-hmm. So I think in a lot of ways, any artist, whether it's subconscious or conscious, has that pressure. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what drives a lot of them mad. It's because they can hear it or see it in their mind or their head, but they can never recreate it. Bring it to life. Right. Mm-hmm. And they spend their whole lives, and it drives them insane. Mm-hmm. Not to say that they don't create amazing works along the way. Right, but they're still looking for right. something that they did right. not find. They always feel like they're lacking. Right. So then, concurrently, I started reading um, another book called Ocean of Sound by a guy named David Toop, T-O-O-P. And it's about critical listening in the digital age, but it was written in the early, mid-90s, when the internet was really just becoming household. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't have the mass uh, 
chat rooms. We didn't have instantaneous information. We didn't have, I think we were on the cusp of the 24 hour constant news cycle. Mm -hmm. I think the only cell phones anyone had then were like the Zach Morris brick phones. Those Saved things by the bell, the, the big gray. burn your brains loose. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the book is kind of futuristic in a way, which I know we've talked about this before, that we like futurism. Right, and sci-fi right. And I do too. Yeah. Um, and so it has that going for it. But So he breaks down different eras of listening, and he compares like, you know, Vera C. to Brian Eno, and, and he kind of brings it all together in this weird way. And I only just started it, but so far it seems very good. But what he talks about in that book, or at least what I've read so far, is the strength of your olfactory senses. And in this case, your, your hearing, your aural ability, or as, or as Brad would pick on oral, me and say. Olfactor ol- sensors are your nose. Oh, shit. I think. Well, then I'm. Aural, though, is your hearing. Right. So I'm, I'm not a, oral. Yeah. We got a little confused yeah. earlier. Aural. A-U-R-A-L. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Anyway. Anyway. Um, uh, everybody's going to be like, yeah, this guy was the salutatorian of his class, right? Yeah, yeah. Boy, yeah. yeah. Doesn't he know what olfactory senses are, dumb bastard? No, <laughs> I need to make sure that's right. I was wrong like no. five times last night. No, I was I was rocking and rolling on the wrong answers. But but anyway, so he, he, he and the guy says in the book that basically uh, your, your hearing is... Yeah, it's sense of smell. Okay. I wasn't yeah. wrong about that. Womp, womp, womp. I'm so glad I'm getting, I wasn't wrong. Uh, I, I, don't ed, I don't edit these things would, out, but in order to make myself not look so stupid. Yeah. Huge ego. And that the, the, the sound, you can always listen to a song, and a song could take you back to a particular place over mm-hmm. and over mm-hmm. and over and over again. And by that virtue, it becomes limitless, even though it was created like, take, uh, I don't know, uh, everyone everyone knows the Beatles so take a Beatles song it, even one of the early ones one of the bubblegum ones you know it was created at a certain time a certain place with a certain technology under a certain limit mm-hmm. but some people man they can put that thing back on and every time they hear it they're back to wherever they were at whatever memory at whatever moment like uh, and even um, well I think you can link also you can link new moments to it Correct, yeah. Like from new experiences, and all then, of a sudden you link a moment to it. And this is what the guy does in this book, uh, uh, Ocean of Sound, David Toop, uh, is that uh, by virtue of that, by linking moments of past, present, and possible future all, all on one thing, then not only do you have a limitlessness, you have a timelessness. Omniscience. Right. Which is a really interesting thing to, to consider. And I have heard, though I don't know this for a fact, that in Alzheimer's patients, they have played, uh, they've done many studies. I, I, right. I, again, I, I don't, I'm not the scientist on this, but that when they play music for Alzheimer's patients, they, they, um, they respond. They can recall. And other other mediums don't do that. Books, uh, visual art that they've had better success with playing music for people and people who are out of it within the con the the confines of listening to that music can recall oh that i remember being with so-and-so at such and such and such someone will have to check me on that but i'm almost certain i've heard this before yeah that's true i'm pretty sure and so So, i don't I, i don't know it makes me think about 
limitlessness, timeless technology. I think the the there sound humans are predisposed. I think to to catching sound and like interpreting sound. I think because it was so much a part of our ability to survive that it caused us to kind of have this because in learning we call it mnemonics right where Is that you spelled with an N or a P? P. A, a silent P yeah so it's where you create a song like the ABC song is a perfect example of mnemonics like if you can't remember your ABCs you can remember that song and right. then you get a letter in the right place right? Oh, man, how many times have you <laughs> alphabetized something and you're like yeah so and there's a bunch of them I mean Schoolhouse Rock is a perfect example from my oh, time Schoolhouse Rock is the best of mnemonics so and literally you can play those songs and people will hum those along and then when you do a test they hum those songs mm-hmm. Right, because it, the memory is linked to the tone, right? And so it's very, very cool. So I, I'm thinking that probably those songs, the tones in those songs are linked to past memories. And so that enables them to like relive the memory or like find the words to use in the present from the memory. Um, so I can understand why that would work even more than a, a, a picture, but a picture... I assume a painting could do that too. I would think so. I wouldn't see why it wouldn't. There is that, um, what was that name of that famous movie? It's from a book where he looks into the painting and he goes back in time. Um, somewhere in time. Did you really see that? Familiar. It's like at, in a really beautiful hotel and this guy is there and I think he lost his, I can't remember what it was, but... He lost like his wife and he sees her in the picture and he goes back in time and he's with her in another time. I think that's the way it's Jane Seymour was in it. She was really pretty, pretty British actress. I remember her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And it was like shot at one of those really pretty hotels. I feel like I've seen it because I feel like my grandmother has watched this and I've probably seen it with her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting movie, even if you don't like love stories. Right. So, yeah. So I guess my wonder is then with this concept. Well, let me say something really quick. Hold that thought. Because in philosophy, the concept of space and time is added by your mind to understand the world. So I think I've said that before in this podcast, but certainly Kantian philosophy would say that we add those things to understand the world. We add our understanding of those things to understand the world. Like without time, we wouldn't be able to to, to know the difference between the past, the present, and the future, because some cultures don't. Right. They only see the now. Yeah. Like, and that's the whole thing with meditating and Buddhism, right. where you you remain in the now over and over and over again to kind of filter out Everything what else. could happen in the future and what did happen in the past. Um, but your mind is doing that. Your mind is stalling yourself in the now. Yeah. So. Quick, quick segue thought. Uh, for that past, present, future, sadness is based in the past because it's based on regret, right? And anxiety is based in the future, exactly, because you don't know what you're, right? Right. So it's Which better is to be in the now. Now, right? Um, but so with the concept, this idea of timelessness and limitlessness, under the assumption, pretext that people don't listen, which this could bridge us into any number of discussions, paths of discussion. 
if people aren't listening, not even critically, it's not even about that, but whether it's to music, to other people, to the sounds around them, how, what is the future of sound in the future? How important is it? And then if people aren't listening, then are we finding ourselves trapped? Aren't listening to exactly what? Anything. I mean, people don't seem to listen to much anything anymore. I don't think. No, they do. They listen to a lot of noise coming out of the TV. It seems like. Right, but that's what I mean. Like, uh, and in this case, I, I want to be very careful because I'm I'm like the guy that's like any any sound can be music. You know, anything can be. I don't. So I don't want to. I want to be really careful where I tread with this. But filtering noise versus like sound, I guess. Organized sound. Right. So, like for example, you may be listening to these. Humanly organized sound right. would be a music. The, the chattering on TV, which may or may not be good for you, and in most cases probably isn't, versus like sitting outside and listening to the sounds of nature. I, I'm talking at its most base level, not even getting into complex stuff yet. If you're constantly bogged down by this one sound, and it's bringing you down, but then this other one could, could o- open you up. Why wouldn't you turn the one off and turn the other on? Well, would you compare? Uh, so a person might can say, "Well, I I listen to TV, but teenagers walk around with their earpods in all the time, and listening to music. What's the difference between me watching TV and them li- them listening to music? What do you think?" I don't know. I don't know. Like, how I have to, not really thought about this. Yeah, in a while. no. I, I and I don't know what to say to something like that. Because I mean, I guess I because guess, there's a lot of teenagers that walk around not hearing nature, but they're listening to music. Right. And if music is limitless, then I get then I and I guess under are that, they assigning the music to the experience as they walk around? Now, see, maybe does that, that make them the smarter? Question. Because if their earpods are turned down, and so they can still hear what's going on and see what's going on around them, are they assigning the experience to a certain sound? Is it enriching it? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, it has to be enriching it. Why would they do it? Well, you would hope. See, like, I know, like, if I was to go hike in the woods... Yeah, why would you do it? Do you walk better with some little snap to your step because you got no, some rhythm? Well, yeah, like, uh, like so well, what happens if you listen to Rage versus Beethoven, right? Well, yeah, well that... <laughs> do you walk faster? Right, yeah. Or do you... Get a, a greater... Yeah. Cl- yeah. Well, like, if... <laughs> that would be a great psychology experiment, If actually. I'm walking, like, in a trail, like, if I'm mm-hmm. hiking... Right. I tend not to have anything on, on my ears because I want to hear... I'm getting so much enjoyment out of the... Yeah, and lately your ass might get eaten by a bear. Well, that too. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I know a lot of people like who ride bikes. I don't yeah. ever ride a bike and listen to headphones. Well, it's super dangerous if you don't... I mean, you can have them on, but don't have them turned up totally. Right. But I, I know lots of people who are jamming. Oh, yeah. That's why people get run over and I on bikes and jogging. Right. And I don't, yeah. and I don't begrudge them that. Is mm-hmm. it... And they don't stop at our little stop signs. I mean, maybe, and I obviously I know some people make like gym gym playlists. Mm -hmm. So I guess there is an assigned meaning there. And I know this song gets me pumped. So I think it's beat. Like when you're running, you want a steady beat. Right. It's like a cadence. Yeah. Which is why it makes the military marchers, you know, they 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 chant a cadence. Right. Right. Now, but also my hearing is damaged. I have really bad hearing loss from the tinnitus that I have. 
Which is, if no one knows, is tinnitus or tinnitus. From, is that from jamming out so much? Probably so. Yeah. I used, man, I used From to, Metallica? Things were so loud. Yeah, it could yeah. have been. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, dun, 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 dun. I think some of it was before then, them, right. and then after that. Right. Um, so I have to be really careful because if I listen to headphones for too long, it, it amplifies the... It rings. Your yeah. ringing gets louder. Yeah. But then if I listen to things through speakers, if anyone starts speaking or anything happens, then it's like I might as well just stop them because I can't things become I don't know how to describe it like this happens with Sam and I a lot um, she'll say something and I hear her but I cannot distinguish anything it's, it's all I hear so is you, uh, uh, so you don't know what words there's saying. no okay and this is happening more and more and more as I get older and if there's clashing sounds here it's very tough for me sometimes but like at home like if we're listening to a record and we're cooking and we're like I gotta I gotta stop one or the other or something so can you have it in the background turn the record down yeah but i but when i'm listening like i listen to music yeah 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 but it, when you're cooking don't that's how don't cut your shit loose because you're listening too intently to the music right and that's so a you lot drop of times, a knife on your toe right a lot <laughs> of times I'll, I'll i'll just do that stuff in silence mm-hmm. well outside of yeah, that yeah you uh, sit in your chair and analyze noise. the music yeah yeah um, you almost need to get you a decent easy chair so you can just kick back. But I just wonder, like, so, you know, maybe let's try to turn this and apply this, like, let's take Spotify. I don't, I'm not trying to pick on them, just that's a big one that's being used. If they're offering you a limitless catalog of sounds, is it really limitless? Well, by definition, it's not. Because they only own so much, or can give you, and there's there's only so much music. the The stock of music is that's the limited part of it. There's only so much music, and there's only so many paints. I don't know how there's only so much canvas, right? right. And I don't know how innovative. Again, I want to be careful about this too, because but that new music's gonna be, yeah. Or, or has been recently. So how about the computer programming is patent and, or copywriting, copywriting, you know, they go through and make new tones and they copyright them. They go through them. And I don't know if that's true, but I heard rumor that that literally uh, was happening. A couple of days ago, Vans, the company Vans. Yep. And this is, for those who care to turn off at this point, this is a total conspiracy theory from me in my mind. Oh, my God. But hang on. Hear me out. Yeah. Vans and somebody uh, teamed up. They're running a competition, and the idea they wanted people from all across the world to paint shoes to submit music. Oh, submit your music. We want to find the next great whoever. And so the idea was that you submitted music, you put your name, your address, your link for your music, and then I think there was a box you could type up to 500 words description about you or your band or whoever, you know, whatever it was you did. I think the submission date ended on the 23rd, just a couple days ago, a day ago. They all get sent in. Somebody reviews all these, some people. Then they pick the top, Yeah, whatever, so five. And then they finance those bands. No. Then you do a performance online. So you have to have a camera. You have to be able to broadcast, right, right. which some people may or may not be able to do. Yeah, you could be a writer and not a performer, though. Interesting stuff here. Um, so you have to do the performance, right? And so then, you have to have someone do the performance. I if think you there's can't do it. four 
judges, if you will. Right. Are they famous? They're journalists or, or people in the music industry. Okay. I think one's a journalist for an online publication called Pitchfork, okay. which is, Pitchfork is, I don't know, maybe a little too uncomfortably trendy to be judging right. music. But that's probably what Vans wants. I mean, like, well, it's, they it's want, a hot website. And, yeah. and, and if you can, if you get on Pitchfork, that can make or break you to a, it can get you a lot more exposure whether you become something from it, just just the exposure that you get from being associated with them is is good That's enough for some people. Yeah. Um, but so four judges, one of one of whom is a, is a journalist for Pitchfork, and then you do the the five performances, and then they will pick the best one, and that one person gets to open for somebody I've never heard of and couldn't tell you who it is now. Right. And all of that. So that seems benign enough. You have all these people from all across the world sending in all this music that they've made and worked on. Some of these people have never been heard of. Probably don't even have websites. Who knows? Mm -hmm. And some of this stuff might be really good. Yeah. Really good. Do you know how many ways they could process this music for sound through algorithm? Yeah. Do you know how many people they could rip? They could, but in technicality... You could snap a screenshot of you turning in the music. Sure. I mean, theoretically, yes. Because the you still own the copyright whether you turn it in or not. Well. Unless the fine print on that thing and says you don't. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that they would do that. Why would you want to do that? that it wouldn't make that person famous. They could just. Well, and I don't know. And I, I mean, I, I, I've not seen the contracts. I didn't read the fine print. I considered submitting music and then I didn't. Because I, I just didn't... I thought, well, this is kind of silly. So if Van stores your music, you become famous. Van yeah. stole your music. Well, oh, I, could, well. I could try. Let's it's put still it, my music. Let's put it like this. Who else can make that weird shit? It's a matter of what <laughs> their lawyers think versus what my lawyers think. Not necessarily. I mean, you've got a record of your music and the type of music you create. You know what I mean? Like sure. It's like a poor man's copyright. You You've recorded enough of your music... To prove that this this particular I, I echo song that you created yeah. about loneliness or whatever I, I, is I, you. I'm just I'm just I don't know. Anyway, I, I again, make fun of Keith's music. He makes some really interesting music. Conspir- I just do it just to make him smile. Conspiracy theory and stuff. Glare at me. No, that's fine. <laughs> but but anyway, so that's what I thought about that. But but so the I think the top genre submitted was under the umbrella of hip hop, which is not a surprise. Right, right. Which, in a way, is a little disheartening, because I think hip-hop now is becoming a catch-all. It's almost too easy. Right. Like, you have a melodic middle section, then you have someone speaking, and then you have melodic other sections. Yeah, it's kind of like the... Joey and I go back and forth, because Joey doesn't like early 90s rap. He thinks it's too basic. It's 244, you know, boom, bap, boom, boom, tap, boom, 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 tap, you know. Yeah. But all that stuff is really, really good. Mm-hmm. N- you know, no one ever said it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. And I just think some of the stuff now is just, it's not that it's uninspired or that it has no meaning, but it's like when everyone's using the same computer program, inevitably there's going to be a ubiquity right. in sound. At a bare minimum, if you're using a different guitar or bass or keyboard, the different string with a different thing and a different this and a different touch and a, mm-hmm. 
on some level, after before it's all processed, it'll be a little different anyway. They're probably not all using the same computer program, yeah. and they're using different drum machines probably to lay their beats. I hope. And they're, yeah, I don't know. I I am not a super fan of rap music. Um, I like some of it. Right. No, I mean I I I I. I I don't have anything against it. I just mm-hmm. there's just a lot of it that just doesn't appeal to me. But then again, I grew up on white kid rock and roll, and now that I'm older, white kid rock and roll doesn't even really appeal to me that right. much. I listen to the things I enjoy. Yeah, you really you're really into more jazz now. Yeah, it's you I, were, yeah I'm all Afro, you weren't into Afro that. beat. And you weren't into that at all when you were young. No, no, no. I had no idea. In fact, we were. No, I'm saying I could evolve necessarily. And there, I do like some NWA and like The Chronic and Dre and stuff mm. like that from a long time ago. But no, the new. I'm just not a super big and fan. And Joey loves it. I know, he does. But but so, anyways, I guess I, I wonder yeah, with. So we don't we, have our third. Well, that's all right. Know, one but to with promote our, it. our limitlessness and sound and all that, like, I just wonder with technology in the future, like. Is it trying it? So, remember, capital is always trying to bind something so it can sell it, right? So it creates boundaries so it can. Without a boundary, you can't have a product or a a packet that you can sell, right? So art is on the leading edge. It's called the commons the creative space at the very edge of the commons where we all get together and make shit. And then capitalism peels that little edge off and then sells it. And as it does that, it also takes normally the danger away of it. Looks like rap started out as very much a protest kind of music. Mm. And now it's more of a mainstream kind of music, even though some rap is still protest, but in general and a lot of art starts out as protests. It's like the 60s, how it merged into, you know, the all the different trends of the 60s as it began to, you know, take over that leading edge, which was super creative and hippies were super creative. And then capitalism reproduced the jewelry, reproduced the flared pants, the patches, all that stuff. It it and it generated it into like what was style for that time. And it does it over and over again. Like the leading edge of designers make whatever and then it's packaged and capital moves in, finances and it scales and then it Yeah. Great art always seems to be birthed in the name of going against the grain of something. Right. In general. Because it's uh I think ultimately in time it's it's absorbed well, that's what it's doing. Yeah. So either culture it absorbs it or destroys it. Right. Right. It destroys or or the culture is destroyed by it. Oh, interesting. Right. Yeah. So, you know, those upheavals, um, capitalism is really good about absorbing those upheavals. They make it trendy. Right. And then it becomes whatever. It loses its bite. So that's a standard thing. You can read books about the commons. Um, With... Uh, the creative commons. So then let's say that somehow technology, and I'm sure I know there's like meditation apps and like sound generating apps and things like that. But let's say that technology puts us to a point where critical listening is a greater factor in society where 
people don't cut people off. People listen to what people have to say. Like We call that in education active listening. Yeah. Where you constantly make yourself not worry about what's going on in five minutes. You listen to the kids in your classroom and and you make sure you're actually listening to them and not planning what you're doing in the next 10 minutes. Right. Not, uh, what's it? Uh, you're actually listening and not waiting to speak. Right. That's, that's, that's or planning to speak right. is what you do. Right. Yeah. Um, or planning like your next PowerPoint or your next, you know, group activity. Yeah. Like I got to get these things up, but this kid has a very important question. Like you're supposed to pause right. and actively turn on like, and you make it, you're supposed to make it like an effort in your mind to do that. You know? So like, instead of just blowing the kid off. Like I can watch uh, old clips like Dick Cavett mm-hmm. on YouTube. He'll ask somebody a question. He doesn't speak for like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Someone will just talk, 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 and Dick will go, "Oh, okay." Mm-hmm. Now about that, and he'll, and then they talk, 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 talk. It's talk. really difficult to do that because you want to talk. Yeah, you know, of course. Mm-hmm. But he he did, for the most part, seemingly a good job. Right. And I'm not trying to heart like I don't think any I don't know that we've ever been like this as a society. Joey would probably would go, "Well, you're just hearkening back for something that." And I'm not, but nostalgia. If if technology could make us better, active, and or critical, and I don't mean critical in the sense of like tearing something down, critical in the sense of disseminating pieces and parts. Uh, if we could improve our listening skills, deductive. Yeah, deductive. Yeah, if we can improve our listening skills, would that make us, as we grow into the future in these increasingly tense times? Would that make us more open-minded? And by in, in applying the applying the metaphor across the board, if we were more open-minded and listened more, whether we agreed or disagreed, I, I, we can get to that, I guess. But if we were more open-minded and listened more, deductively, d- yeah, deductively, and mostly without emotion. Would that create a sense of timelessness and limitlessness with the people that we're with and therefore maybe enrich our experience and maybe do away with some of the interpersonal chaos that we experience? Could, like, could, could somehow, could that sound art, something like that, could that be the way to this is again hippie thinking idealistic futuristic bullshit but somehow some way can the technology somehow help us unlock that so that we can be better to each other and find more unity with each other this is where my head has been after reading those two things that's interesting because i can't i'm not against technology but i'm skeptical of it so the idea of open-mindedness but Joey, Joey popped in yesterday when I was sitting here working, and we uh, chatted a little bit about open minds. I don't really want to get too far into it because we, we, he's we won't, not we here. Won't, we won't speak to that part of it, right? Yeah. But the the considering all the stories of everyone and giving them value, and then making a judgment or holding off on your judgment till the next time or the next time or the next time. Um, I think we naturally are evaluative for 
obvious reasons. Well, I think, survival. I think we, we, yeah, we have yeah. to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, so we're deductive it, with it, everything else. Why can't we be open about it? Instead well, of destructive they've, they've about shown it? that we're actually not that deductive. We practice deduction all the time in schools. Schools are all about practicing deduction. Now, deduction is where you take something into pieces and you look at the pieces and make judgments about whatever the object is or what it's used for or, or you, that kind of deal. That we're really not super good at that because we have all these scientific tools to do that with that make us even better and we hardly ever use them. And then when they come up with an answer, we don't believe the answer. We think we believe the answer, but we still make the same fallacies and predictions based on things that are actually something we've not deduced. Right. <laughs> um, and so, and then when we change our opinion, we tend to psychology experiments show that we tend to not believe we ever had the opinion that we had in the past. <laughs> like we, we mm. discount the fact that we had, like if you believed in one politician and then you kind of thought that they were full of shit, then several years from now, you would have never thought you ever believed in that politician, right? right. Or that idea or, or whatever. I didn't have that idea. I mean, people say that all the time, but you know, their family members are like, mm -hmm, yeah, you were rocking and rolling on that. Funny like enough, five uh, years ago, Sam's uncle voted for Obama twice and then voted for Trump and pretends like he never voted for Obama. Yeah. 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 So it's actually people naturally do this thing where they, their decisions that they're rocking and rolling now, discount everything else in the past that they 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 went right. or got to that decision uh but that that's pretty interesting but the the deduction piece the fact that we have a, a really hard time like actually doing that hmm. and then believing the results hmm. I, and then understanding that there are concepts like regression to the mean and randomness that that functions so powerfully in our lives that we might even assign too much meaning to some kind of phenomenon that we figured out or some kind of connection that we've made as we're driving around town or whatever. And Connecting the dots that don't exist. That don't exist. I call those class one logical fallacies where you see a pattern that isn't there right. um, and you build it in your mind and then you think like that pattern's real. And we literally do that over and over. We're predisposed to do that over and over again. Um, just because of, base, uh, of I think just survival. Base human instinct. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like you see a leopard in the bushes. I mean, you hear something in the bushes, you think it's a leopard, but it's really a bunny. But if you didn't run, then the leopard would have eaten you if it had been a leopard. So we're really predisposed to doing those. And that those errors happen over and over and over again. Um, but that being said, this this idea of like, I don't open-minded is a really difficult word, but if we do actively listen to our people around us and our friends around us and our listen to nature, listen to the way sound integrates into the world, the way writing does, the way poetry does. I mean, I think I, I don't know if I've ever told this story in on the podcast, but I, I tell it all the time because it was really profound to me. I was, one of my friends was going to go on a long trip and it was kind of like a sojourn. And so I was trying to find, rustle up some little quote to read to him um, before he left. And I 
I found a part in Leaves of Grass, which is Walt Whitman's book that he kept writing over and over again. It got longer and longer. He actually only wrote like one book, I think, but he just added to it. It started out like 50 pages and it ends up like, I don't know. Talk about living living art. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, it became, which is actually unusual because authors don't normally do that. Correct. Um, But there was this really great part about traveling and whatever so I read it to myself, and I was like, oh, that's so good. And then when I read it in the restaurant, it froze the restaurant. Like, everybody stopped eating and listened. And it was so weird, because the restaurant was like a regular restaurant, and then when I started reading it, everybody became quiet. And then when I was done, I was like, holy shit, right? Because I I had never like read poetry like that, and it was it was it was very poetic verse. It wasn't just like just like describing. I mean, it was very the words kind of rambled together, like in this really neat sing song, and which I didn't realize till I read it, which is why vocalizing poetry is so important, right? Because I didn't know that. Like I. And he was like, oh, my God, that was great. And then the whole restaurant, they nodded and they kind of went back. Some people smiled and they kind of went back to it. But it was weird how, like, the rhythm of my voice and the words silenced everybody in the restaurant. And then everybody was with us at that moment. And then everybody was back to their individual worlds. It was the craziest thing. Like... But I think that's the same phenomenon that happens at a concert when everybody's jamming out to the same thing. Everybody's energy is moving in the same direction. It was, I think that's what art does. Um, and it might not be exactly the same direction. It's the flavor of the direction, I think, that happens. Mm. But we have so many powerful tools to make ourselves better, and we simply don't use them. Yeah. Like, well, and it's art's not valued in our society, and they should be the top paid people. Right. Or if well, I don't know that it's ever been valued that much. I mean, look how they treated actors back during the Roman Empire. They are worse than prostitutes. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's, that's an interesting thing, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why we seem to tear away from the arts. I guess because, I guess because there's a misconception that art doesn't bring progress the same way that it is the leading edge of progress. Right. And I don't, I don't know why. Which is so crazy. People that don't it's see not it considered that, that. Sometimes. Well, I mean, because of practicality, like Joey would say, well, what are these subjects for? Like, they're stupid because they don't, they don't earn any money. Right. Like, if you have a poet working at Apple, which Apple has a few poets working there for obvious reasons, for inspiration. Right, and their buildings are built to create natural art, like the big donut with the forest in the center. So everybody that looks out a window there sees some kind of form of nature in natural art. Yes, yeah, so they're you know? not so. So they're inspired, right? And they have gorgeous the pieces of art hanging in the walls that people you can sit and contemplate. I'll never forget, and I have said this on the podcast when I came around the corner at MoMA. And all these people were sitting, staring at this one painting. I'm like, what the hell are they doing? Like, and there were people staring at other paintings, but there was a shit ton of people staring at this painting. And it was Starry Starry Night. I couldn't even see it. There were so many people standing in front of it. 
And even though they make it stand back like 20 feet, like the whole area, there must have been like 30 or 40 people standing in front of it. Yeah. I was like, wow, are they all getting the same thing out of it? Is it because Van Gogh was famous? You know, what is it about that picture? I don't know. Right. I think it's because the moonlight shimmers in it. Like when you look at it, the way the painting's painted, it seems to create a motion with your eyes that looks like the, it's shimmering. Van Gogh was the one that took his ear off? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crazy dude, man. Starry, starry night, portraits hung in empty halls. Well, I guess we can move on to another topic now. I just, I don't no, know. That's, like I said, that's, a, that's an interesting... Yeah, it's a, next a, time bring the book. A brief exploration of one right. of the corners of my mind, I guess. Yeah, that was a good little exploration, I think. I just, I don't know, I, I really wonder about sound, and I guess, like I said, because I'm, my hearing Because you're getting, a musician, too. Well, that too, but my hearing's getting worse as I get older, and I value that so much. Like, mm-hmm. there's music that I can put on. Um, maybe they'll be able to inject some stem cells in your ear and fix that. Maybe. Uh, and man, I mean, I, I can hear something new every time. You know, records I've heard since I was like five. I'll catch something different every time and think, oh, wow. But I can always remember certain things. Like I can, I can pinpoint the exact moment where I was sitting, what I was doing, everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a, like a time machine in a way. It's mnemonic snapshot, I bet is what we could call it. And they probably have a name for it in... Oh, I'm sure there's like a, a proper scientific name, yeah. In in psychology. So you want to talk about nasty political stuff? You want to no, talk about? No, I think we've been talking about stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think this is more of an art session. So what would styles trends? Oh, we'll talk about the mullet here directly. But okay, all uh, right. But <laughs> let's talk about like what is your favorite painting and why? Ooh. Oh, geez. Man, there's a couple that I really like. Is Do you like the artist first, or did you like the painting first, then the artist? Like, Did you like the lore of the artist? So I think part of Van Gogh's lore is the fact his, that he... person. Yeah, he did some wild shit, yeah. and, and like he did paint impressively, but there's a lot of impressive painters. Um, so. I like Dali paintings, but I liked the paintings before I knew of the man, because they're so weird. You know, right. there's the surrealist psychedelic mm-hmm. aspects. Um, I like Eric Drucker, uh, who right. is a guy that I think did a lot of covers for The New Yorker. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And I found his art through my favorite band, which is Faith No More. Mm-hmm. They used one of his paintings for a uh, cover of their record. Mm-hmm. I like Van Gogh and Picasso and, and those kind of people, but I think my favorite artist possibly would be M.C. Escher. Oh, I used to have a shirt with the one that kept folding in and out. Yeah, like okay. It was like a room that folds in and out upon itself. I, I, and I don't, know, I don't know that I have a particular favorite, but the one that I remember, my uncle, before he passed, he had a book. It was an M.C. Escher book, uh, and it just had all of this. You still have it? You probably do. It might be. It's probably at the house in Ohio at my mom's. Oh, okay. Um, it might be in a box. That'd be a good book to retrieve. Yeah. I have to look when I get home. Anyway, um, the one I remember is the one where it's the lizards. 
the geometric lizards coming out from the geometry, and then they're coming, they're turning into lizards. And, I haven't seen that one before. I don't. Think. Oh, uh, I'll have to look it up. But that's one of my, probably one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I think that's very industrial. I just yeah, the the geometry, the and, and he wasn't an he was a mathematician. That's how he came up with all that okay. stuff. Okay. Yeah. And then he just started drawing it. Um, but I would say after that, probably, probably I don't know. Monet always painted really, really beautiful. So I hated pictures. Monet originally, and or I didn't hate him. That's a strong word. I just thought it was too chunky. I guess would be the word because he uses a palette. Uh, yeah, the little thing that looks like a scooper to yeah. do the, and the paintings are really rough. But recently, I've thought how beautiful they were. I think the more I I try to notice nature and those kind of things, uh, my favorite painting probably that I come back to over and over is Ascension by Salvador Dali. Which one's that? It's where they're floating upward and everything's kind of like folding. Okay. Like. Well, I can't. I can't and I that. like, it's probably the color. I have the disappearing bust of Voltaire on my wall that someone gave me oh. because of, uh, Voltaire is a philosopher. And so his head flows into the painting and then flows back out. Like, it's kind of cool. It kind of scares people sometimes when they're standing in the hallway looking at it. I have some creepy stuff in my house. So I can't, that's part of it. I can't find it, uh, the one that I'm thinking of specifically, but but I do know the one you're talking about, the, the Dolly painting. Right. It's yeah. one of his more famous yeah. paintings. Um, yeah. Sonny's favorite uh, painter is Matisse. Oh, Okay. Um, and she just likes the his colorways and just the presentation of the people in his. And I don't know if the, the a lot of the artists I like. I don't know so much like Escher. I don't know he's a painter so much as a a, a, draw, a sketch artist, drawer. Right. You know. Um, same with Eric Drucker. He's I mean, almost a graphic designer. In a way, yeah. 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 Before they they existed as a discipline. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I really I really enjoy visual art. Um, I haven't been to many museums of, of that respect, but I do enjoy it. And honestly, and this may be cheesy, but you know what? And, and, and I'm going to speak for the everyman here. Probably I'd have to say hands down my favorite artist of all time would be Bob Ross. Because, He's, yeah. Because Bob Ross. And he, you watched him create too. Right. Live. He, or not live. He, but. To, he instilled in you that you could be an artist. Right. And anything you wanted to do, you could do it within the confines of uh, that canvas. Of uh, paint and canvas. You could have right. all the world you wanted, all, you know, whatever you, you didn't have to paint landscapes. Mm-hmm. You know? um, I just think that idea that he was promoting that. I don't know mm-hmm. that artists, other artists would be that way. Mm-hmm. I feel like people like Van Gogh or Monet, you know, they would, in that, in their time, you can't, you can't paint. Huh. This is an art. This is a, And they're covered know. with oil paint. Right. Yeah. Right. It's a possibility. I don't know that, yeah, they were considered special people instead of the idea that anyone can be that special person with enough practice and, yeah. But I mean, I've got a lot of art in frames. I just don't have it on the walls of the house. Mm -hmm. I just don't have enough walls. Yeah. So. Yeah, you have a lot of windows. So 
Yeah, you you give up wall space for light. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's kind of like my house. It's a weird, yeah, which is a weird thing. Yeah. Um, so, favorite band? Faith No More. Faith No More. Do you remember uh, them? I have not listened to them very big, much. Big, huge hit in the late 80s, early 90s. What was the name of it? It was called Epic. No, they, I, I, I recognize had, the name. They had the, the, it was the refrain, everything. Uh, how'd it go? No, it's like my favorite band. I don't know. Uh, they'd say, it's it. What is it? It's it. What is it? You So what about Faith No More that you like? Just... When I was a little kid, my neighbor gave me a tape of Angel Dust, which is their fourth record. And he said, man, if you want to hear something weird, listen to this. And at the time, that was the strangest thing I'd ever heard in my life. And I remember turning it off and being like, ugh, what is this? And then, I don't know. And then I just... It started talking to you. Yeah. And then I heard a record that they did, their last... Re- the, I said the, la- the last record in their heyday which is called Album of the Year, which a lot of people think is their worst. And I really liked it. And then I, and that's what got me into them. But I don't know. I suppose that could change. You can always... Well, you have a favorite band of all time. Then you have your favorite things that you're listening to now or you're fond of now. My favorite band probably of all time is Rush, just because of the yeah. complexity <laughs> of it. They never gave I up never until one of that. them died. Yeah. And they... There's just something cerebral about and thoughtful about their music. Like, it's well thought out. Well, and who would have thought that a band would give you a hard-on for Anne Ryan? You know? Like yeah. You'd be listening to this music and being like, dude, i got to go read Anne Ryan. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we got to... They, uh... Yeah, there was just something about the lyrics and the... Again, they were protesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. And I, so I have a, a really fun, I mean, everybody has a really fun space for a bunch of different, I think, kinds of music, but I can just like that one. I come back to over and over and over again. Like if I get bored, I'll put on some rush and mm-hmm. you're right. It opens up the same vents that it opened up before when anytime, I was young. Anytime yeah. I feel shitty, mm-hmm. I can put on a rush. Now record. I don't necessarily think about the time. Uh-huh back then I get the same feeling of the time yeah. right so it's a little different I don't visualize like when I was the first time I heard Between the Wheels or you know Red Barchetta or something you know <laughs> and so but I remember I get the same feeling that I had then man Brad uh, I'm gonna go ahead that's a, a Between the Wheels is such an obscure mm-hmm. that's just the fact that you know that it's a badass song it's a great song yeah yeah that bam, rocks and rolls bam. The first, the first Rush song I ever liked was Limelight, and I think yeah. that's the, the, the Rush song that everybody likes. Yeah. You know, uh, living on a lighted stage approaches <laughs> the unreal for those who think and feel. Of course, Getty sings that like three octaves Way above that, high, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, you can be the captain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And plays the bass and the keyboard, keyboard. at the same time. And the yeah, 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 yeah. So I uh, saw Rush live in Palm Beach, man. That was insane. Oh my god, that was insane. Yeah, the lots so of lasers. Yeah. Oh, they were so good. Yeah, yeah. they um, uh, they're amazing that three people can make that much sound. Least favorite or most overrated band of all time? Anything you pick. 
Um, least favorite, overrated, or two different things. My least favorite band. Probably Judas Priest. There was a while there I didn't like like Metallica, Judas Priest, any one of those. I've kind of gotten over that over the years. Like I didn't really like Led Zeppelin originally. Okay. Which is like no, no. But, but I liked the Eagles, and so a lot of people didn't like the Eagles. <laughs> they said the Eagles were too commercial, too whatever. I think part of it is because I can sing the Eagles Ooh. really well. They're, he's in my, or they're in my vocal range really right. easily, right. so I could... Makes it enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And plus, they're, it's very melodic, and it builds a picture really easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten to where I like Led Zeppelin a little bit more now, and some of those other kind of bands a little bit more now. So far as overrated... People will try to kill me if I say this, but I, I'm the Beatles Hmm. just because like, can they really play those instruments? Hmm. (laughs) I mean, I think they learn how to play. Yeah. uh, I mean, I think so far as a songwriter, Paul McCartney, like you can't write. I mean, those songs were beautiful. right. Right. But so far as like the hype that was them. You know, I'm like, mm, like you compare Rush, three man band, right. versus them. You know, I and the Beatles are a four man band, right? The yes. Four of them, yeah. So, and well, I, you think five of, if you count George Martin. Yeah. So you think of other four man bands that are so much more powerful, right? Right. And I don't mean in loudness or whatever, because that's that's the tube the t- the technology back then wouldn't allowed them to be. Right. So it, the technology back then, yeah, but you. But you compare them to a one-man show like Neil Young. This goes back to what you were saying earlier about the amount of chance, luck. Right. There were 50 bands. The amount of randomness in, like, when we assign someone success, there's literally so much randomness that comes together to create that that we really... The, the amount of what they did is only a very small percentage of why they're famous. Right. Right. And and there were fifty bands. So we really shouldn't hero worship like we do, but it's kind of built into our language, yeah, in our cultures, especially Western culture. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, you know, they people have to remember they started out playing at a, a bar in Germany. They were the house band at a bar in Germany. You they know, were because they couldn't get famous in England. Right. You know how many bands played the same kind of music mm-hmm. they played mm-hmm. all through Europe at that time? Mm-hmm. They, I mean. No one's yep. denying that they're great songwriters, right. that maybe even they're, they're, they're superior musicians. Can't, can't mm-hmm. comment on any of that. Um, but it could have been anybody. It just right. happened to be them. So what's yours? Get me off the hot seat. <laughs> don't uh, say some obscure damn band that no one cares about. Don't, don't get me started. Um, there, there is, I could list a hundred bands that I think are overrated just by virtue of any number of things. But that's me probably being way too critical. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the Eagles are overrated. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of people actually do. Um, I'm not denying their talent. Right. In, in, in no case am I denying anyone's talent or abilities. Right. Um, but so far as the amount of fame they got I just don't, for what they produced. Yeah. Led yeah. Zeppelin would be another one. Mm-hmm. Don't dislike Led Zeppelin. Uh, Ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Babe, I'm going to leave you is probably one of my 
Top 100 songs, favorite. I just love that. I think it's on the first record. Yeah, that's not what I said. I was singing bread. I haven't even thought about them in forever. But people, again, you have to remember, the first four Led Zeppelin records... 90% 90% of the music on there has been stolen from Delta Blues artists. Half the lyrics are all taken, lifted from Delta Blues songs. So they made a deal with the devil like Robert Johnson? Oh man, Led Zeppelin's been sued so many times they can't count. Yeah, yeah. At the cross, so that so the Led Zeppelin's been to the crossroads. Yeah, well, so the, the joke <laughs> is, is that three of four of them made deals with the devil, and you know which one didn't. And the general understanding is that it's John Paul Jones. That Plant Page and Bonham. Why would John Paul Jones not be? Because he's John Paul Jones. He's too cool for that stuff. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> but, you know. The, the, the so there's a famous story in the blues, if you don't know it, that Robert Johnson, the guy who invented the blues chords or came up with the blues chords, Went to the crossroads in the Delta, in the Louisiana Delta, and made a deal with the devil, and the devil gave him those chords. The talent and the ability right, to, right. to play. Yeah. Um, and it's like a lure that's followed the blues around forever. Ever, like it yeah. was with it when it first started for some reason. So, I don't know. Um, the Beatles, I, I, don't, I don't know. That's a tough one. I, I don't disagree with you. But it's, you know, at a certain point, though, especially with George Martin's help and the use of the studio, they did become singularly innovative. Now, to your point, take a band like Cream, kind of an anomaly, but they existed from 67 to 69. Now, all those guys, Jack Bruce, Ginger Baker, Eric Clapton, they were all in bands, blues-based bands, No, no different than the Beatles, in a sense. Maybe more bluesy, not not as poppy. Blues-based bands. Um, while the Beatles were still writing bubblegum music. Mm-hmm. Beatles started stretching out in like 65, I think was Rubber Soul, Revolver, somewhere in there. Right. Cream made all this wild music from 67 to 69. Crazy. Baroque pop and psychedelic and all. The same time that the Beatles... We're started making all that stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the Grateful Dead started in like '65, given different continent, but right, but right, right. They were making way far out stuff, you know. But the Beatles became like pop. They were doing stuff with the Maharishi, and they were this and that. You, know? and you think about like the Beach Boys again. They were making Chuck Berry ripoffs up until like '66, mm-hmm. and then Brian started. Brian Wilson started doing what he wanted to do. And I still maintain to this day, if they'd have let Brian make the record smile after Pet Sounds, this discussion between the Beatles and the Beach Boys, we wouldn't be having it. Right. The Beach Boys would just be the superior band, period. Right. And keep in mind, we're talking about one man, Brian Wilson. Right. Versus George Harrison, Ringo, uh, uh, George Harrison, John Lennon, and Paul McCartney. Right. Three of the greatest songwriters... And Lennon hated McCartney's music. Yeah. Thought it was adult pop bullshit. So, but I would say if, if I'm going to center overrated to like a, a specific time point. So I, coming to Keith's answer after 10 minutes. I, I'll, put it, I'll put it to you. <laughs> From my youth, I would say 
unfortunately, I would say sublime. Okay. Talented. 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 Cool sound. Mm-hmm. Very good grooves. Great hooks. I just think they're overrated. And unfortunately, birthed an entire legion of a certain kind of semi-raga dub music piloted by white dudes. And this isn't even like white apologists, white male aggression. I'm not even getting into that bullshit. Most of the bands that I've heard in that vein just don't do a good job of it. And Sublime is it's like, of course, we live in a coastal community. It's like you can't go anywhere up and down. The whole time I lived in L.A., I think I heard Sublime twice. You can't go anywhere up and down this eastern coastline mm-hmm. and not hear Sublime, Revolution, Heritage. Uh, Box Elder was a band that I played with, not not in, but like played out with. Would you with. put Pennywise in that group? No. Pennywise, okay. I would consider more punk, no effects, pop, okay. punk, pop, okay. punk, pop, whatever. But you just can't escape it. Mm-hmm. And I, it's like, oh, God, if I have I to hear... I think it's just because it's so catchy. Yeah. The tunes are just so catchy. It's like, if I have to hear... It's wh- like, if you can lay down a good beat, Ugh. it can... Yeah. I'm so sick of hearing what I got, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they play it all the time. You know? Mm-hmm. Now, as far as, what did I say, overrated and... I didn't remember my own question. Overrated and the, your most hated band. Ooh. I didn't say my most hated band. I just said overrated. I, can't, I don't know that I hate any... Hate's a strong word. I will use. Strong I will word. use dislike, and at, at that rate, then we will go for the whole. Maybe the Sex Pistols. I don't know. I pretty much dislike everything that most other people like. <laughs> I don't like the Eagles. I don't like Let's. I, you know, I don't. I just mm-hmm. don't care for that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I don't like Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, I'm not super fan of I Jimmy I Buffett. Just don't care. You know, mm-hmm. I just like all that stuff. Jackson Brown. Just don't care about it. Jackson's okay. You know, like stuff like that. Like I'm, again, James Taylor, you don't like him? I like James Taylor, but it's a North Carolina thing. Well, also James Taylor is a pretty decent songwriter and singer. Yeah. His voice is like really hard to imitate the yeah. clarity of it. Um, and I, he's in my vocal range, ooh, but okay. even just trying to, yeah. it's the, really the way he does. It's it. like a bell. It mm. rings like a bell for some reason. I don't I'm know. Just, I'm just not into that stuff. But then, yep. like, um, you know, like. Uh, that's like of all the grunge bands, quote unquote. Like I think Soundgarden was the best, and I like Soundgarden They're my too. favorite. Yep. I think Nirvana's like. I'm not fond of Nirvana they're either. They're okay. But Soundgarden really. I think it was just because they were so popular, you just, just couldn't get away couldn't from. Get them. away from it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know. Um, so they couldn't get away from it either. Kurt right. couldn't get away from it and either. That, and then yep. that there you there you have yep. that. Um, Is that the same thing with Bradley? couldn't get away from it perhaps mm-hmm. i've read stories about when they were recording that record because uh, they had the guitar player from the butthole surfers produce the record paul leary okay um who which band he was in the butthole surfers no but i mean which uh sublime so okay yeah, yeah he, 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 he produced talking. that record okay and he said it was a nightmare yep he said it was a nightmare guys are all strung out couldn't keep their shit together it was an awful awful nightmare mm-hmm. he also produced the meat puppets when the dude was all strung out on heroin and he said they had to move the studio. They didn't even tell the one guy. They just shut down at the one studio and moved to another and kept on going without him because he was just too fucked up. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's believable. Yeah. So, 
I don't think I, I think on the sublime. That's that creative edge right, on that sublime record. Mm-hmm. When you listen to that music, everyone's like, "Oh, this is so great!" Da, 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 da. I don't think a single one of those songs was done in one take. I'm pretty sure he had so, to. Edit. That was great producing, yeah, is what I'm you're pre- saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying the band wasn't talented. I'm not saying they don't deserve it. But the guy who really deserves the, the, the accolades for that is Paul Leary, because he's the he's the guy that he's had to the put producer. It together. Yeah, he's the guy that had to put it together. So, what other stuff has he done? Uh, he's done Butthole Surfers of- records and stuff like that. But like John Paul Jones, bass player for Led Zeppelin, produced the Butthole Surfers. Oh, okay. For a record. So he learned how to do it from John Paul Jones. Maybe. Okay. Um, but yes, I mean, I, I think stuff like that is interesting. But Yeah, so those are our picks. Those are our statements for today. Our trends for the... Oh, We, we still yes. have some time left. For some reason, the mullet has decided to show up again. We're talking about the haircut. In our society. Specific haircut. Yes. Business in the front, I've party in the like, back, as they say. Yes. Business in the front, party in the Where back. Where are you seeing these mullets? I saw these mullets in the gym, and I've seen two in here. Today? No, not today. Oh. I would have pointed it out to you oh. if I'd seen it today. Yes. The mullet is not a cool haircut, people. It wasn't cool back then, and it's not cool now. What do you think the appeal of it is? Haven't you seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures? <laughs> Don't he have a mullet in that? Okay. Kind of, sort of. I think, yeah. I'm having a hard... Did they ever do the third one? Or they haven't released it yet? No, no, that's Keanu Reeves and the other guy. And no, 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 uh, that's not when the one... What is the one where the Alex Saturday Winter? Night Live guy... Saturday Night Live guy has the, the fake mullet... Throughout the whole movie. Oh. It's like kind of like a, there's a blonde one and a dark-headed one, and he's the blonde one oh, with Wayne's the mullet. Oh, Wayne's World? Yeah, it's Wayne's yeah, World. Garth's God. got the mullet the whole yeah, time? Yeah, 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 yeah. Watch that movie, because that's a parody of all the mullets that were around at that time. The mullet is an interesting haircut. I, I We skipped class one time when I was in high school in Florida. And got mullets. And I went and got my hair cut into a mullet. Yeah. Your hair would have been a out-of-control mullet. It wasn't as good then as it could be right now. Right. And my hair wasn't as long. Or as curly? Yeah. I could throw down a, like, and I would look disgustingly. Like, if I put on a trucker hat and grew a Fu Manchu, I would look like the dirtiest redneck. Uh-huh. Uh, I got it in me. Yeah, you would have a serious friggin' mullet. Yeah, right now. Especially if you grew it down just, like, two more inches, it would even be bushier in the back. It would get So nasty. yours wouldn't hang down the back. It would be like a little bush around the back of your head. Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, but anyway. Hey, brother, hold my bush no, eyes. Check this out. No, <laughs> no that mullets are not cool. They make your head look too narrow. Right. Do you think we'll see a trend coming oh, back yes. of the mullet? Yep. So what else is going to come back? Well, what was popular when the mullet was... Ripped sweatshirts, weren't they popular? Like the flash dance thing where you rip? Or was mullets, that... mullets were big when I was a little kid, so I, I, you're, you're... I can't remember. We'll have to look back in... What's hot right now? What's trendy right now in fashion that you know of or that you can see? So skinny jeans are kind of moving out and straight leg jeans are coming back in, which is nice now that I can I can pick stuff off of the floor <laughs> without skinny jeans on. Well, I didn't wear like super skinny jeans. I'm too old for that, but I wore like tapered jeans. And sometimes my calves are big enough to where like, it was hard to bend over and pick shit off the floor. So we're going just back to straight leg. Probably flare might come back in ladies' It seems like there's some flares 
showing up. I, um, I mean, I this kind of flowy stuff. I, I got to keep. They're the only pants that fit. What? The skinny, skinny jeans? jeans? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just my, the way my you body's contoured. You would just contoured. go like to a fitted, like fitted with just a little taper in the bottom. Steve's helping, holding the door for somebody. I mean, Keith's holding the door for somebody. I don't even know where I got Steve from. It's um, more milk and bananas than I know what to do with. Yep, yeah, that is. My God, that's a that's a party. <laughs> Brooke, Brooke looks like she just bought enough food for a small family. I know. Yeah, I. I that's one thing that we ha- never did get a chance to discuss. I think because I always wanted to do one about just fashion in general. So we'll we'll plan on doing maybe the last one. We'll wrap it up with the the our I, fashion tips. I remember not that long ago, <laughs> everybody was talking about, you know, women would go into public and look really nice and men wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Much like I look today, they'd be in basketball shorts and a, a t-shirt or a sweater. And a hoodie. Yeah. Um, and it's like 90 degrees. Well, I get cold easy. Um, but uh, I, lately I've seen it where more men are like you know are coming in and they don't look like slobs yeah they get shirts polos I think or, that's a trend for the last 15 or so years where men are but now women are embracing the athleisure or casual wear yeah well there's a lot of like there so there's an aerobics culture there's right. a yoga culture so but like, if uh but if uh now and this is where things get tricky so, I think. uh people when you wear your yoga pants too tight they see you can see through them right and i've definitely seen and i don't know that people know that like maybe they do and they just wear them but literally they're sheer they're like a hose that you stretch out they're basically made out of the same material that pantyhose are right. they're just woven i think they're, they seem like they're just woven thicker. I've never worn a pair of yoga pants, but yeah. or those tight things. Now men wear those tight things that look like yoga pants that they jog in and everything else. Right. Like, those are awfully sheer as well. Yeah. There's. There's. Yeah. I can't. I don't really like super tight. Like even compression shorts, I'm not super fond of in the gym. Like, have you ever worn those? They're like I, I tight wear, drawers. I wear them a lot. Yeah. yeah. Actually, um, I guess it gets tough because I feel like you could openly criticize a dude for looking like a slob, and it, it would be more or less acceptable. Acceptable, but like I feel like if you were critical now of a woman for being too leisurely, it would come off the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because, I mean, they have the right to be slobs, too. Right. Like, everybody has the right to not... Um, I like those shorts. Tie-dye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, Keith is all about some tie-dye, because Sam, Sam's a tie-dye uh-huh. queen. Well, most of my wardrobe now has been, at this point, made by Sam. But then again, most of my wardrobe is stuff that I wore when I was 12. Keith's the same size he was when he was a kid. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> You're just taller. Yeah, taller. Yeah, my back is longer, so I have to wear bigger shirts. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I still wear, I mean, underneath this hoodie. If you I, wore a fitted shirt, you'd be a rail. Yeah. I mean, not even a fitted shirt, but like one of those Under Armour shirts that's really tight like they wear in the gym. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, like, uh, and that's why, like, I mean, I, I joke about people that I'm so stylish, but I'm really not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been wearing, seriously, truly, I've been wearing the same shit since I was 12. But Sam makes you very cool tie-dyes, which makes you seem stylish. 
I think so. Yeah. Yeah. At least in that respect. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, you've got super unusual tie dyes that but no I, one else has because she makes them. I wonder about, like, I, I've always loved fashion and enjoyed fashion. Mm-hmm. It's expressive. Yeah. Like, so my thing is matching. Like, I like everything to match. How so? Like, In what ways? Color, you wouldn't wear stripes colors. and plaids then, would you? No. I would. I think um, you can make it work. There is a possibility. I've seen, like, striped shirts that go with a plaid sh- I mean, striped shorts that go with a plaid shirt. Like, okay. they wear around beachy kind of thing. But you're very stylish. Especially, Thank you. Espe- well, but especially when you're... When I'm in my suits with uh, when you're teaching, when you're yeah. in, when you're in acad- when when you're academia, Brett, when you're doctor, when I wear a jacket, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I have a bunch of you're like blazers, Superman. some of them that I inherited. Yeah. yeah, you step into a phone booth, and when you walk out, you look like a mild-mannered human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I do the reverse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because when I'm at the beach, I wear a t-shirt all the time. Like no one would recognize me in the. But you don't come out wearing uh, like shitty shorts and stuff. Like you always look put together. Yeah, your t-shirts Plugged look nice. South they don't look Swell surf shop. They look uh, pressed. That's because this one's new. Oh, okay. But I do press my t-shirt sometimes. Say I don't. Well, yeah, togetherness is portrayed like in in dress. I think most times when people see me, I look like I just rolled out of the opium den. Mm-hmm. Unless it's in the winter and I'm wearing pants, and then I look like I rolled out of the opium den wearing pants. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, no. But I don't. I don't. You just wear look casual. Like I mean, we live in a. Or when I'm here, this is a beach town, so people can get away with wearing flip flops right. till it gets so cold your toes freeze. Right. So, and shorts are a standard and even, and garment. And some people will wear flip flops yeah. all year round. It's very much like Hawaii, where the uh, the you know the the basic collared shirt is your dress shirt, right? No matter what it has on it, right? You know. And and khaki pants mm. and docksiders so or topsiders. Yeah. But I I, th- I don't know. I just I, I wonder like uh like I I, I yeah have we a, could do a style show. I have like a that. button up shirt one or two, but I don't wear them. I try I like I, I you know I mean weddings and stuff. I don't do much and like I used to administrate weddings or perform them for people. I don't do that. Mm-hmm. Used to DJ weddings. Don't do that anymore. So I have no need to have a lot of these nicer clothes that I have just no point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have no... But you're not going to change size if you do need them. It's basic white, you know. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I keep them in case someone yeah. dies. <laughs> so I don't show up at a funeral looking like a slob, you know. Right, right, right. But I mean, I've been, I mean, I've been wearing ombro shorts since I was four. Mm-hmm. The same six-inch inseam. My underwear is longer than my shorts. Yeah. Um... I've got T-shirts that I wore when I was seven. I still wear. They're holy. I don't care. They're comfortable. Mm-hmm. I don't give a shit, you know? Mm-hmm. I would I, never wear a holy T-shirt. I, I feel so embarrassed for Sam because we've gone out in the public and I've got holes in the back of my... You can see my whole spine. Whatever. I've just, that's just, I've had the shirt. I think in the 60s or, you know, 80s or something or the 50s that would have been considered horrifying but now people rip holes in their jeans on purpose on purpose which yeah. I don't yeah and that's the other thing so I would like to but they I would don't actually, necessarily have holy shirts well I would <laughs> I would actually like to go ahead and make the statement now on record that I have been a trendsetter almost my entire life one trend many trends umbras well that too but I mean I was wearing clothing that made you look homeless before that was popular Oh, uh, okay. Um, I remember growing up here, uh, sixth grade, 
I went to school one day with khaki shorts and a button-up plaid shirt, and the next day, every fucking guy in the school had khaki shorts, button-up. Maybe that was just the thing of the time. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was the I was the original hipster. I was dressing like a fucking bum. So you heard it here, Keith was the original hipster. Yeah. Yeah. Of the of the nineties. Yeah. I'm no Jack Kerouac or anything, but I'm also not a raging yeah. alcoholic. Yeah. And I'm not a misogynist. Yeah. So, you know, nothing against Kerouac. I like him. Just saying. Yeah. Just saying. Love the Beats. Love William Burroughs. Name my dog yeah. after him. But, just saying. <laughs> you know. So I, I want, but like I'm curious though with like fashion trends, and then like um. You know, like uh, we live, and maybe I shouldn't talk this way, but I'm gonna. But you know, we live on the beach, so a lot of people wear, you know, almost no clothing. Yep. I see a lot of awfully cheeky bikinis. Yep. And, well, if I get in trouble, I get in yeah. trouble. <laughs> I see an awful lot of cheeky bikinis, and all I'm saying is, is I'm not, I don't know, that's a tight rope to walk. Like, I'm just saying, probably, probably some women specifically ones under a certain age do not need to be wearing oh yeah 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 i don't if you're over 18 i don't care you wear any bikini you want i'm just saying people talk about sexual predators and this thing and this this why fashion interests me so much right for men and women both you can dress you can inadvertently dress suggestively and be sexualized man or woman Without even knowing it. Yeah, but normally predator-ish people are not... It's a power issue. It's not... I mean, there is some baseline sexuality involved there, but it's more of a power issue, like dominant, you know, and punishment and those kind of things. I don't think that, you know, like clothing creates the predator in person all right. of a sudden they see somebody in a tight bikini and they turn into a predator right kind of like how shit was already there guns don't kill people right people use guns to kill people right, right. right. No, and i agree with you but i just I, I, I think there's a larger there's a larger idea to explore there well you know it is like what if everybody was on the beach naked and that was the trend right i mean it might it is, is the trend in europe Correct. Like, I don't know that. that well, they got bottoms on most predators, of the time. But you, but you know what? But if you, but were sometimes on, they don't. For sure. But if you were, have on you ever a, been to a nude beach? I haven't. No, I would be much, much too, too. Prude. So I have had, I've had two nude beach experiences. One I didn't realize I was having, and then the other was on purpose. Uh, both times I couldn't get naked. <laughs> well, the first time I, I wasn't going to a nude beach, so I was on Kauai and my cousins and friends were surfing. And so I decided to, I had been taking some photos of them, so I decided to go for a walk. And I had this big-ass hat on, like I always wear at the beach. You've shit the ones, very similar ones in my car right now, and that was 20 years ago. Uh-huh. And so I'm walking down the beach, and I walk around this point, right, that I didn't, I couldn't see the other side of it, but I walked around this point, and I was humming to myself and having a good old day. And I must have walked a good 100 feet. And when I looked up, everybody was buck-ass naked. Except for me. I mean, literally everybody. It was a surreal experience. Like, 
am I conscious right or whatever? Because it was like something so odd. And when I got back, my cousin was dying laughing because he knew there was a nude beach on the other side of that point. And he had told me, well, it's really pretty on the other side of the point. You should go check it out. He set you up. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. And the second time, Sonny and I went to this place called Hall River Beach and right outside of Miami. And... Like when you're walking out to the beach, it says you may encounter nude sunbathers beyond the sun, <laughs> right? And you walk out there, and then of course it was a lot of Europeans, but it was we tried laying out out there, but we couldn't take our clothes off. And see, and now, and like, and you can't tell me that in a in some kind of nudist colony or nudist setting or nudist beach. Again, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that's how. Like, you see someone naked, and suddenly you're a predator. It's not what I'm. But right. you can't tell me that somebody out there, man and woman, people aren't being aren't getting aroused. Right. Or or So is it the provocateur of the clothing or is just the person's already a provocateur and they don't, don't realize it? Or they are and they do realize it. And that's that's what I'm saying. So like I mean we we still don't exactly know how all that shit works i don't think and again i'm not i'm not an expert on it i'm not i'm not advocating for any malfeasance and i'm not trying to put myself in a place of malevolence or any of that sort of thing i'm just simply stating men and women both you can can wear clothing that can inadvertently be suggestive or enticing and that if someone looks at someone in that sense a completely benign human being and looks at someone and thinks, hmm, that's attractive. Right. You can't... This is where we get into those interesting blurred lines. You can't necessarily hold them at fault. Now, if they act on it, it's something else. Right. Kind of like this whole thing. They got this documentary now about Woodstock 99 and how debaucherous it was. And yeah, when you're, and I have no interest in seeing it because when you look through a lens 22 years later yep. in the super PC cancel culture we live in, and you can say, white male dominance and aggression, and how dare they rape those women. And Yeah, you can be as pious as you want now. Where were right. you then? Yeah. You, you know, it's MTV's like, well, it got so bad we had to pull our reporters out of there. Well, why didn't you send someone in to help? Yeah. Instead of getting out. Now you can sit back and say, well, I didn't think that was right. Well, fuck you. Where were you 22 years ago? Yep. So this is kind of where I'm at with that. That's, I guess as far as that goes. So is the woman's responsibility to stop male sexuality? I'm not saying, well, I guess the simple answer would be yes, but a woman can't always stop someone. And I respect that. I, I can respect where a man could become violent or drunk or inebriated. If you're if you're at a if you're at a festival and you're a woman and you're running around with your top off, you can't for a second think in your mind that people aren't gonna look. And for you to feel otherwise, you're being stupid. That's on you. You should absolutely expect or believe that no one is gonna reach out and grope you because that's your body, that's your personal property. Right. No one no one should have power over that. Hello, you're at a festival with a bunch of dumb, drunk people, men and women both. Someone's going to reach out and grab your tits. Mm-hmm. And for you to think otherwise, you're not thinking straight. That doesn't mean that that should restrict you from taking your top off and expressing yourself. 
just means you need to be aware of what's happening. No different than if a gentleman was to shimmy down his pants. You, people going to look at your dick. Mm-hmm. And for you to think otherwise is you're not, you're not thinking right. Should you be able to move through a crowd of people and not be groped? Yes. Is that going to happen? No. Mm-hmm. There's, again, this all goes back to me. It's all about personal accountability. If you're, if, you're, if you're a young woman and you're at a party and you're fucked up and someone takes advantage of you, you it's different. That's a whole different concept to me. But if you're going to go out in the public and wear almost no clothing at all, man or woman, and not expect to gain some sort of attention, wanted or unwanted, you gotta. There's a, some, you know, there's a there's a line there somewhere. But be, the problem is, where is the line? Right, 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 right. So, I mean, everybody wants a little attention. People don't want too much attention in general. Right. So, and I know I'm skating on a lot of thin ice here, and I'm going to probably get a lot of blowback because. I do have people that send me things and they tell me what they think and, and I'm sure I'm gonna get and I'm not trying to get you into trouble or any No, I'm being quiet. <laughs> I'm 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 genuinely <laughs> trying to open up some avenue of of discussion. I like I have legitimate questions. So you don't think we could have twenty we don't regular just nude beaches instead of people wearing swimsuits? I think we could. Do you think that would desexualize the whole thing? Because people, some people are not as attractive with their clothes off, <laughs> or even with their bikinis off. Right. Like it's a different. Like when you see the whole picture, it's clothing. I wouldn't like see. accentuates yeah. certain things a lot of times, and it creates certain illusions. Like, like seeing somebody in a flowing dress that's sheer is different than seeing that person walking through the room naked. Right. 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 So it has this illusion that comes with it, or even like the gowns that they make, like Mm -hmm. Versace makes gowns that look sheer, but they're really not like, and so it builds this illusion of what you can see. Maybe, you know, you can have this maybe like, I think that causes the, 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 the tension. Like, cause yeah, but I I don't know. I mean, we haven't ever had completely new beaches. I think that's right though. I mean, I, the premise, right. seems right to me because, if you can watch, there'd be a lot of burnt asses if we had. If you can watch violence over and over and over again yep. and become desensitized to violence, mm-hmm. I don't see how you couldn't see something like that over and over again and just be t- just be not as concerned about. Well, that's kind of like the way they are in Europe with boobies, right? Like they're not as like on the beaches. Like women wear bottoms but no top in right. a lot of places, like Saint Tropez. No places one cares. Like, no one seems to give a right. shit. No one cares. Um, you know, and it's. The the Europeans seem to have gotten over a lot of the body image right. stuff that we had for which, years, which is also interesting because this but is I, something I'm not an expert on that. So I've been no. thinking of a lot lately is the idea of um, like with people being physically attractive, um, people wondering why people find other people physically attractive, and I've been thinking more in my mind lately about that the idea that like it's not so much in what someone wears or like how someone is so much as in how they wear it and how they carry it. Right. You know, I think traditionally speaking, larger people are, are traditionally considered not attractive, but I think that depending on how they carry it, like, and it's not, I'm not trying to say it being weight. I'm talking about like 
the the essence. So I think we see that here where people are the confidence level. That's what I'm And that's yeah. one good thing that our culture has done. It's kind of like the <coughs> the idea that that because someone carries a little bit more weight they're unattractive is simply kind of been because that's a relatively new thing so far as women go because because in, in Europe they women were are appreciated for being voluptuous right I mean even that word indicates that there are curves and that they're whatever but again we're two white dudes objectifying women so exactly uh, yeah. you know like we are in such touch area because yeah. we don't have a woman on our panel leave it to and, me yeah and we certainly can't speak for women and what they feel about no. their bodies or about their bikinis or about whatever. But even like a large men, I, I, and we've talked about this before because Joey goes after me about how small I am. Skinny is the word I think he uses. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, like, man, I've spent my whole life people thinking he I was narrow. anorexic <laughs> or bulimic. or It's not, it's not fun. You know? He's attractively narrow. Yeah. Right. And then when I was on drugs, that was the worst part about it. It's like, here I am, all strung That should be out. the name of your band, Narrow. And, and people be like, oh, you look so great. What are you doing? And I'm like... Eating. Uh, I'm strung out. And your skin looks fantastic. I'm like, are you high? Yeah. You know? Um, but, but no, I mean, but, but seriously, though, like... Um, Speaking of eating, we got to wrap this up. Yeah, it's not so much in time. what you wear is how you wear it. And I mean confidence that, has to do so. There's, I mean there's this, this thing about confidence that has a lot to do with the way per people perceive you in the world. So let's leave this for next time. Can confidence come from a f photograph? Can you perceive confidence out of a photograph? Like when you're flipping through Tinder or whatever app that you're using to date. We've already talked about how that's you shouldn't use the app. You'll never get laid. Ooh, can I tell some but, of my Tinder horror stories? No, 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 oh. no. Save those for next time. Okay, I right. think that'll be really good. But, uh, yeah, this idea that confidence is projected in an image, maybe. Mm. Like the illusion is also projected your in the digital image. self that you're projecting the curated, yeah. the curated self yeah so there should be a book called the curated self i think that would be an interesting you better psychology. go copyright it today no you well, better you better you're get welcome at it today. to use it like i don't want to write anything about that well then but, i guess what you want to make your recommendation we'll kill it we'll probably we'll, we'll be able to squeeze in one more before you leave town right yeah you just have to do it in the week yeah because Sam yeah. and I won't be here. Okay. All right. So yeah. go ahead. Do your do your recommendation. Um, recommendation for a book. So let's do Leaves of Grass in that I mentioned Walt Whitman. Uncle Walt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you want to use an American institution. The great, the great gray poet. Yep. Yep. And so Leaves of Grass is kind of an anthology. It, But it has some really long pieces of poetry that are like narration poetic verse poetic verse yeah. right so it'll give you a different idea of what poetry is yeah because it reads like more like a book yeah it's more like a book and some of them are like short stories so i think it's it's worth having in your collection just because he's an american institution like if you don't have any of his stuff in your collection it would be mm -hmm. uh because it was a powerful moment for me the moment when i read it in the restaurant Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll piggyback on that and I'll say if we're going to keep it to American institutions and classics, especially in today's day and age, I would say um, Henry David Thoreau's Civil Disobedience. Oh, I used to teach from that. I think would, would apply very much to today. Uh -huh. 
to give people a really good idea of what true, good, clean, civil, disobedient anarchy being jailed for something you know it just it's it's all right. it's very short civil disobedience is very short it's an essay but it's packed it's not a book it's packed right and you can download it for free on the internet yeah yeah yep. henry david thoreau yeah. and you we're gonna sign off with that and hopefully joey will be on the final one when maybe, we get maybe we'll find him <laughs> we'll do a dinner we'll do like rush did in their documentary we'll just have a big dinner and we'll record the dinner Oh, we could do that. And then and then we'll get a little wine drunk and get loose. Okay, okay. Oh, I'll sing a lot more if I have too much wine. All right, guys. See you later. <laughs> we'll see you.